Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel 10, we'll start in verse 17. Hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the tribe of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming in from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people, that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were three hundred thousand, and the men of Judah thirty thousand. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. 
So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord, concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them, and they cried out to the Lord, and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord, and serve him, and obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. In our story for tonight, 
We see what happens when the, the spirit of the Lord turns Saul into another man. We saw that at the end of, or the, the end of our previous passage in chapter 10, where, where Saul is turned into another man. A very odd phrase in many respects. In chapter 10, verse, verse 5, it says that, what, what, that he will come to Gibeath Elohim, where there's a garrison of Philistines, and there, as soon as you come to the city, you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, we didn't talk much about these prophets last time, partly because we don't actually know much about them. We, there have been very few prophets that we've encountered in the book of Joshua or Judges. Now, here in the book of Samuel, we discover there's a group of prophets. Where'd they come from? It was, had Samuel started sort of like a school of prophets? We, we'll hear about a school of prophets later in the days of Elijah. Were they connected with Samuel? Did they study with him? And for that matter, what did it even mean in Israel to prophesy? There's not a whole lot background here. So, like I said, lots of questions, not many answers. And when God doesn't give us answers, I'm not going to try to make up answers to pretend I know what's going on when I don't. There are only three things I can say about what we know about these. First, they're associated with this high place, a place of worship, a place for sacrifice and offering, now, you might wonder, high places, that sounds bad. Right. Later in Israel's history, this will be bad, because God had said that they should only worship at the central sanctuary. But there is no central sanctuary. There had sort of been one at Shiloh, but that's gone now. And the ark is in hibernation, and the only place where you can worship God at the moment are the high places. So the prophets are associated with sacrificial worship at the high places. Secondly, they prophesy with instruments, harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre. Uh, musical instruments will be associated with worship, and particularly with the sacrifices of Israel, and we'll see that when we get to David particularly. But here, they're associated with prophecy, with some, in some, some form of proclaiming the word of the Lord. And it's worth noting that later in a, in a few chapters, we'll hear David playing the lyre in order to drive away an evil spirit from Saul. So, so there's some musical instruments going on associated with prophecy, associated with worship and sacrifice, okay, and with spirits. Saul's evil spirit, I, I mentioned, but when Saul meets them, verse 6, the spirit of, Lord, of the Lord rushes upon him. And he prophesies and is turned into another man. What does it mean for Saul to become another man? Now, we, we sometimes talk about how, ah, in the, we talk about the book of Joshua. We talk about how Joshua points to Jesus. Same name. Have you ever thought about the other Saul in connection with the first Saul? Because... Both have a remarkable encounter with God, the, this Saul here with the, the Holy Spirit when, the, when he comes in contact with the prophets. In the book of Acts, the other Saul 
will encounter the Lord Jesus on the, on, his, on the road to Damascus, and then will meet Ananias, a prophet who will tell him that he'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then both are turned into another man through that encounter. So this is not an accidental connection um, because this is actually part of what God is doing. And it's just worth saying right up front that the Saul of the New Testament, who we normally know as the Apostle Paul, what tribe is he from? Benjamin. We often focus on how the first Saul fails. But it's worth noting that there's a redemption story, there's a narrative arc of the Saul family that comes out both in the book of Esther with Mordecai, the descendant of Kish, same family as Saul. That story of Mordecai is connected to the redemption of Saul's family in the same way that many generations later, the Saul who becomes Paul is also part of that redemption story. This is what God's doing in history. You may look back in your family and say, wow, that was a mess. But what is God doing? There's a narrative arc that goes so many I mean, generations. We, 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 we read in the, in the third commandment um, you know, that God, uh, second, that, or second commandment, that uh, uh, to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thousands of generations. You, a thousand generations later, God's mercy is going to still be on, at work. I mean, that's re- remarkable. God does not forget his promises. Now, uh, here in, in chapters 10 through 12, uh, Saul comes, comes, starts off rather well. And that's, it's an important point to, to show, is that there's, our Saul is not entirely a failure. But Samuel calls the people to the Lord at Mizpah. Now, Mizpah was one of the three cities where Samuel judged Israel. It was the place where Samuel had begun his judgeship back in, in 1 Samuel 7. But that's not the only thing we need to remember about Mizpah. Mizpah was also the place where Israel had gathered to bring judgment upon Benjamin. Now, the backdrop to our story for tonight is, is Judges chapter 20 and the great crime of Benjamin at, when Gibeah... Uh, basically the, the rape of the Levites, concubine, and that story is being referenced constantly in our chapters tonight. There's a certain irony here. Israel gathered at Mizpah in the days of the judges in order to destroy Benjamin because of what Gibeah had done. Now they are gathering at Mizpah in order to set a man from Gibeah of Benjamin as king over them. There's a redemption story happening already. Some have called it a beautiful story of the redemption of Gibeah. Others have called it a foreshadowing of what's to come. They're both right. Samuel's speech does not leave us much doubt as to what we should expect. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, verse 18, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. God says, look, I have been faithful as your king. I have defeated your enemies and delivered you from all who oppressed you. In other words, God has done what a good king does. But Israel has rejected God. Now, as I've been suggesting as we've gone through this, 1 Samuel is not so much anti-monarchical as it is anti-Israel. Israel has failed to be and to do what Israel was called to be and to do. The establishment of the kingdom is the sign of the end of Israel, in a sense, just as Moses has foretold. Samuel had already anointed Saul, but now that anointing must be confirmed by the people. So Samuel brings all the tribes near and casts lots, and the lot falls to Benjamin. And of all the clans of Benjamin, the, the clan of the Matrites was taken, and then as they keep going through, they call, Saul the son of Kish is taken. And when they saw him, they, they couldn't find him. Now, Saul is hiding. Why is he hiding? Well, we're not told, so let's not try to guess. The point of the text is quite different. Normally, when the lot is cast, the lot falls to, is it this one or is it this one? And in this case, the lot falls to someone who isn't present. The same thing will happen when Samuel goes to anoint one of Jesse's sons. The point is actually not, why is Saul hiding? The point is that God is determined to make Saul king, even though he is hiding. He is the man of God's choosing. And so they inquire again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? He's hiding in the baggage. So they take him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. He's a head taller than anybody else. Remember that when we get to Goliath. And Samuel says to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. We're going to see a contrast between Saul and David. Saul is a man after the people's heart. David will be a man after God's heart. And the people shout, Long live the king. This is a king you can follow. And now there's, there's a certain foreshadowing as the reader wonders, can anything good come out of Gibeah? There is still every hope that Saul will prove to be a faithful king. And God touches the hearts of men of valor and they follow this new untested king of Israel. But there are some worthless fellows, sons of Belier. It's actually the same term that's used to refer to the sons of Eli when they had become, rather than being faithful priests, they become like Canaanite priests. And some say, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. He understood that he was untested. He endures the criticism because, here at the beginning, Saul's hope and trust is in the Lord. Now, in, in chapter 11, then, we hear about Nahash the Ammonite, who has come and, atta and is attacking Israel. Uh, we, we've heard so far in the book of Samuel a good deal about the Philistines. The Philistines are in the west. Uh, they're living on the shores of the Mediterranean. This time Israel faces a second threat now from the east, the Ammonites. The Ammonites are cousins of Israel, being descended from Lot, Abraham's nephew. But they've been enemies of Israel ever since the Exodus. And so Nahash the Ammonite has besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh say, 
Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. They're ready to surrender on the spot. Now, the word here for treaty is the word for covenant. They're, both, they're ready to accept Nahash as their covenant lord. But Nahash is not just interested in acquiring one little piece of Israel. He wants to humiliate Israel. And so he says, oh, I'll make a covenant with you. I'll gouge out your eyes, your right eyes, and bring disgrace on all Israel. He's picking a fight. No, no. I want to, I want to, I want to battle. I want to fight you. I want to, I want to conquer Israel. Remember Nahash. Because when we get to the story with Goliath, we'll see Israel's king in a less glamorous light. But here, Saul handles things admirably. Now, he's, the, the men of Jabesh request seven days and, and they, they send messengers all through Israel and, and especially to Gibeah of Saul. Saul has just been an anointed king, so can our king do something? But there's more to the story. Remember, our, our story has already been bound up with the story of the sin of Gibeah through meeting at Mizpah and, all these, and the fact that Saul is from Gibeah, the, the city that's like Sodom and Gomorrah back in Judges 19. Israel had gathered at Mizpah and swore an oath to destroy Benjamin for the sin of Gibeah. And in the ensuing battle, only 600 men of the tribe of Benjamin survived that purge. All the women and children of Benjamin were killed. And at Mizpah, Israel had sworn an oath saying, none of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And since Benjamin has no women in it, and all of Israel has said that they can't have, they can't have our daughters, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin is going to be wiped out from the face of the earth. Until they ask, okay, we gotta, how, do we, how do we fix this? And they're like, oh, no one from Jabesh Gilead had shown up to attack Gibeah. So... Israel goes and strikes down the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the sword, preserving 400 virgin daughters of Jabesh Gilead and giving them as wives to the Benjaminites. Think about that. Saul is of Gibeah of Benjamin, and Benjaminites only have... Who who are their mothers? Jabesh Gilead. Saul... Saul's great-great-great-grandmother would have come from Jabesh-Gilead. So why would the people of Jabesh-Gilead look at Saul as a potential rescuer? Hey, he's descended from our families, our, our, our city. So Saul, but now of course, this also provides us with additional fodder for wondering what God is doing. Saul is the offspring of both Gibeah, the city that can only be compared with Sodom, and Jabesh-Gilead, the city of cowards who did not stand up and fight for the Lord. And you want a king from Gibeah? Either this is going to be a story of the, of the redemption of the lowest of the bow, or else this is but a foretaste of worse things to come. And again, I'm going to argue it's kind of both. Now, Saul's response is filled with irony. Uh, Saul is coming from the field behind the oxen. King of Israel still plowing his field, just like an ordinary guy. And, and then... He asks, what's going on? Why are they weeping? Uh, And the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him when he hears the words, and his anger is greatly kindled. And uh, he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers. 
the same sign that had been done back in Judges 19 and 20 when the concubine was cut up into 12 pieces. Saul, at least, has the decency to cut up oxen. Thank you. Um, And now Saul is going forth with the Spirit of the Lord in order to destroy the Ammonites. And he... He succeeds. He, he brings. He, he unites the people of Israel. They come in, into battle. They destroy the Ammonites, so that no two of them were left together. And and then you have this moment where these sons of Belial, the worthless men who had objected to Saul's coronation, uh, now the others are saying, "Ah, oh, put them to death! How dare they? They spoke against the Lord's anointed." And notice that they said that to Samuel. Saul is the king, but there's a, there's an awful lot of. Who, you know, who's really in charge? I mean, Saul himself had said, come to Saul, with Saul and Samuel. And but the people are still thinking of Samuel, the pro- their prophet, priest, and judge. They're really treating him as the, sort of the real leader in Israel. And without Samuel's support, where would Saul be? But Saul is now coming into his own, and he starts off very kingly in all that he does. After all, he has been turned into another man. And the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Not waiting for Samuel to speak, Saul demonstrates that he is not only mighty in battle, he is wise and merciful. He is not jealous of his own authority. And he says, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Here's a king who starts off recognizing that he is only the instrument of the Lord. And as Samuel hears this, Samuel is greatly encouraged. And he says, let's go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. Saul had been proclaimed king in chapter 10, but until he actually demonstrated his kingly authority, there's a certain provisional status to his kingship. Part of it is, in those days, what does it mean to be a king? Well, it means to be a a warlord who goes out and fights your enemies. So until you actually win a battle, eh, what kind of king are you? Eh. And that's also partly why we saw Saul out in his fields plowing. Here's another contrast between Saul and David. Saul is portrayed as plowing in his fields. David is portrayed as a shepherd caring for his flock. Think of Genesis 4. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Saul is like Cain and David is like Abel. and Cain killed Abel and Saul's going to try to kill David. But now all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. They worship the Lord. They partake of the peace offerings. They rejoice because the Lord has given them peace from their enemies. Well, with the kingdom safely established and the, the hearts of the people turned toward their new king, Samuel recognizes that it's time for me to step down and hand over authority to the new king. He says, behold, I have obeyed your voice. God had told him, obey the voice of the people. And I have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And Samuel asks, whom have I defrauded? I've been your judge all of these years. If I have done you wrong, show me, I will restore it. And all the people say, no, you you have been faithful as our prophet and judge. And notice that it's that point that Samuel says, okay, if I've been faithful, then 
trusts my words here. And he reminds them of their history. Stand still, that I may plead with you before the Lord, concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord, that he performed for you and for your fathers. Samuel speaks to them of the mighty deeds of God. He, he traces out the history of, of the exodus from Egypt, and the conquest of the nations, and the, the history of the judges, and how Israel had continually forgotten the Lord their God. It's the, it's the story that you see throughout the Exodus wanderings in the wilderness throughout the, the period of the judges. And Samuel says, and now you've asked for a king. <laughs> and here he is. You've rejected the Lord. Does that mean it's over for you? Samuel says, no. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, what does Samuel mean by the commandment of the Lord? We, we heard that this morning from Deuteronomy 6. It's the Shema. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is what, this is what Samuel has in mind. What, what is the commandment? I mean, there is, there's ten of them, right? Yes, but in Deuteronomy 6, Moses had said, here is the commandment. And the call to Israel and its king has not changed. You have failed to be and to do what God has called you to be and to do, but past failure does not mean that the story is over. You are called to fear the Lord and serve him. But your wickedness is great, Samuel says in asking for a king. And as a sign of that great wickedness, Samuel calls down rain and thunder in the middle of the wheat harvest. By the way, that's, that's a really, really bad time for it to rain. Because <laughs> now your grain is going to get mildew, moldy, and worthless. So it's like, whoa, God's going to kill us if he keeps this up. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And they said, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And again, this demonstrates how... Our passage is not particularly anti-monarchical, but anti-Israel. The request for a king was simply part of Israel's failure to love the Lord the God, their God with all their heart, and because they've turned to other gods. They've trusted in other, in other powers. Their request for a king was simply part of that unbelieving heart. But Samuel responds with one of the most beautiful pastoral responses in the whole of the scriptures. Because even as Samuel speaks it to Israel, I speak it to you because we are actually just like our fathers. We have turned aside from following the Lord. You have not loved the Lord your God with your whole heart. Have you been content with the kingly rule of Jesus Christ? No, you and I have too often sought out other gods, other desires that have pulled us away from the living God. And so to you I say, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. 
the things that you are chasing are empty. They cannot satisfy. There is only one who can satisfy your heart, your soul, and that is the living God. But remember what God has said. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. He has sent his only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Who joined himself to our humanity. Who became one with us. That he might make us one with God. And Samuel says, moreover, as for me. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. They had asked him, please pray for us. Oh, don't worry, I will. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Israel had believed a lie. They had believed that a king was the answer to all their troubles. A king will go before us against our enemies. But, of course, the king can only deliver them if the Lord goes before him. But what about you? What lie are you believing? Every time we sin, we're believing a lie. Every time we sin, we think that there's something that we're going to get if we do this sin. That it, oh, that's, this will be good for me. The lie always falls to pieces. What lie have you given a foothold in your heart? What, what is it that you fear? Fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully. Because every time we sin, it's because we're fearing something else more than we're fearing God. We're more concerned with what someone else thinks of us. We're more afraid of what will happen if, oh, what if this happens or if that. And we're not fearing the Lord. But when we fear the Lord, then we're not worried about what all will happen to us because fear the Lord, serve Him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things He has done for you. Why should you fear the Lord? Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God did not just say, keep trying harder, you'll get there someday. Now his his purpose was not not that Saul would be the way the king, David slightly more, but even David was just the path to our Lord Jesus Christ, because when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, then there was one who shares our humanity, the one who has been joined to us, that we might be joined to Him, that through Him we might have life. That's why you fear the Lord, because He is the one who has, it's, consider what great things he has done for you. He has joined you to the life of his son, that you might no longer be your own, but belong to him who loved you and gave himself for you. So when you're in that situation, where you're concerned with what others think, or when you're concerned with, oh, what if this happens? Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Lord, help us, because... We too easily fear other things and we too easily believe lies and forget what you have said. But help us to not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver. 
They can't save us. They can't do anything for us. They're empty. But you, O Lord, you are full of compassion and kindness. Your steadfast love endures forever. And we thank you that you continue to be faithful to your promises. We thank you that you have delivered us from sin and death, that you have brought us out of the darkness of, of death into the light of life in your Son, our Lord Jesus. So help us, Lord. Help us in these coming days that we might walk humbly and faithfully before you, that we might believe your promises, that we might fear you and serve you with all our heart, that we might love you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. Lord, have mercy. Help us in our, in our homes, with our, our spouses, with our children, our parents, our siblings, our friends and roommates, and, and our neighbors, and our, our, our friends at school and at work, and in our neighborhoods and communities. Help us, Lord, in each place that you put us to, to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, to, to keep you ever before us, because you are our rock and our fortress. You are our our only support in times of trouble. Lord, have mercy for Jesus' sake and by your Spirit, renew and help us that we may live as your people forever. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And let us stand together and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. Church of Jesus Christ, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.